Um, we really appreciate that. Uh, that is not something we take lightly. Uh, I will mention also uh, in the foyer over out of this door, we have a table set up uh, with some prayer cards. Please take one of those. Uh, and then after you take one of those, please, please, please use it. Uh, we need your prayers. Uh, as I tell churches that we're in, you know, most people in most Baptist churches understand, you know, this thing we call deputation and missionaries are traveling around trying to raise financial support and all of that. Uh, I'll tell anyone, if all I'm doing is raising financial support, uh, this is the biggest waste of time man ever came up with. Uh, when you talk about the miles we travel and the places we go and uh, the amount of time we spend on the road and, and such, uh, it would be a terrible waste. Uh, but it gives us an opportunity to make a connection with people who pray for us. Uh, you know, if you search your Bible cover to cover, looking for all the promises God gave us as to what money is going to do for you, uh, you're going to come up with a very, very, very short list. Uh, but if you start searching the Bible for the promises of what God is going to do when his people pray, uh, there is going to be no end to that list. Uh, and so please take one of those prayer cards. Just put it someplace where you'll see it from time to time uh, and then promise yourself, when I see that prayer card, I'm just going to take a second and I'm going to pray for the Wyatts. Because uh, if you'll pray for us, my God takes care of everything else. Uh, and so please do pray for us. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 35, we'll begin reading. The Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I want to draw your attention quickly to just a, uh, a few truths here in this verse. Uh, the first one in verse number 35, I've called the performance. Uh, we see here a, a condensed version of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. Uh, and the fact is, is if you read through the Gospels, uh, you stop and think about the fact that this was just three and a half years. You think about the fact that he did all of his travel on foot. Uh, you quickly come to the understanding that Jesus Christ got a lot done. Um, it's like he was very busy. He was working. Uh, go with me to a few verses here quickly. Uh, Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2, we see this idea uh, started at a very young age with Jesus Christ. Luke 2 and verse 49. The Bible says, And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Jesus Christ was aware of the need to be busy in the work that God had given him, to be performing uh, his duty uh, at the very early age of 12. Uh, we need to be equally aware of that need to be performing our duty. The fact is, is if you're a Christian here today, if you're a member of this church, uh, God gave you a commission. God gave you a job to do. Uh, that, is, that is the work we've been given. And we, just like Jesus Christ, should be aware that I need to be about my father's business. Uh, God gave me a job to do. John chapter number 9. Go with me to John chapter number 9. As Jesus Christ uh, further expounds on this idea of, of working, of being busy. Uh, John 9 in verse number 4, the Bible says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. We need to understand, as Jesus Christ did, the urgency of the work that we've been given to do. 
When we talk about preaching the gospel to every creature, uh, we run into this issue of creatures being mortal. The preacher is also mortal. Hey, when I think about preaching the gospel to every creature, uh, I've only got so much time. Hey, and when there is a lack of time, there is a sense of urgency. Uh, you know, it's like if you've ever been through, through, through college particularly, uh, and as finals and as those term papers become due, uh, you know, as that deadline approaches, as you begin to understand, uh, the mortality, uh, of your education, of your passing grade, um, suddenly it's like you get a, a, a vision and you get, and you get a sense of urgency. Well, the same is true with our work in the work that God has given us to do. When we talk about preaching the gospel, that person that we need to share the gospel with is not guaranteed another day. And if there's someone that you need to share the gospel with, you're equally not guaranteed another day. And above and beyond our own mortality, Jesus Christ said, behold, I come quickly. None of us. This world is not guaranteed another chance. Jesus Christ could come. There is an urgency to the work. John chapter 4 and verse number 34. The Bible here says, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Christ was also aware of the need to finish the work. And I won't go into great detail of this for the the sake of time. But the simple fact is, is, is it's something that we can't give up on. Hey, when you talk about sharing the gospel with someone, you know, maybe a coworker, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, uh, you know, where you had a good opportunity once, but that's cooled off. You know, they're not overly interested. You know, they never bring up the subject anymore. You know, maybe there was a time when, when they asked you some questions. We cannot stop before we finish the work. You know, it's like when you think about finish work, whenever I think about finish work, you know, I think about building projects or remodeling projects. Uh, the finished work is never the fun stuff, it's never the glamorous stuff, it's never the exciting stuff. And in many cases, you know, particularly around the house, when you're talking about building or remodeling, the finished work never gets done. When it comes to the work of the Lord, finished work is very important. Hey, we've got to see the job through. The same with, with training and discipleship. Once someone is saved, uh, parents, when we talk about raising our children, finishing the job. You know, I think too often as Christians, we're content to take care of the big stuff. You know, as long as my son doesn't grow up to spend the rest of his life in the state penitentiary, I'm going to give it a two thumbs up and say I did a good job. As a Christian, my goal should be to raise a profitable servant of the Lord. That's finishing the job. And I mean, oftentimes, you know, that requires a little extra of us. You know, when they get to be teenagers, they're going to start asking that same question that they asked back when they were three. Why? Why do we go to church? Why do we use that Bible? Why do we believe those things? And when we're talking about finishing the job, an answer like, well, that's just what we do, doesn't finish the job. If we want to finish that job, we're going to have to get in our Bibles, we're going to have to study And we're going to have to do the finish work. You know, it's the same idea with construction. You know, it's like for me as, uh, you know, Joe Handyman, you know, the the beginning work. You know, it's like knocking walls down. You know, it's like going in and and hanging new shoot rock. That's pretty interesting. But it's like if I really want to do nice finish work, that requires a lot more skill. That requires a lot of, of training. That requires a lot of practice. That requires some study. 
That requires some preparation. That requires a lot more time. A lot more of a personal investment if I want to finish the job. Well, if we want to finish the job in our discipleship and our training of new believers and our training of our children, we need to understand that same responsibility. But Jesus Christ said, I came to finish the work. And that's the example he left us. We need to finish the work. Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, the Bible gives us the, uh, the record of Barnabas and Saul being sent out on the first missionary journey. Uh, he says, and he uses a very descriptive terminology, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Hey, as I go to Port Elizabeth, uh, I like to think I have a basic understanding of the amount of work involved. I grew up in a missionary's house. I got to watch some of this done. Uh, And so I understand it's going to be labor. It's going to be work. It's going to be effort. Uh, I'm going to have to be out there. It's going to to leave me tired at the end of a lot of days. Physically worn out. Mentally worn out. Spiritually worn out. But that is what God has called us to in missions. It's going to be work. Now, it's like I'm also not so naive as to think that if I come back on a furlough in five years and you ask me, So, how did it go? That I will probably say, I had no idea how much work it was going to be. But if we're going to be faithful in the Lord's service, if we are going to be involved in missions, spreading the gospel, it's going to be work. They're not going to beat my door down. I believe it. It's an open mission field. It is a receptive. But they still don't beat your door down. You know, I'm not going to get off the plane, you know, wearing a little name tag that says Jim Wyatt, missionary to South Africa, gospel preacher. And then all of a sudden I'm going to have a crowd of a thousand people. Please preach to us. You know what? You're not going to either. You know, you guys have a nice building. You've got a great sign out there. That does not guarantee you're going to reach your community. It takes work. It takes work. First Corinthians, go with me to first Corinthians chapter number three. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now this is a picture of someday... We as Christians standing before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at his judgment seat. Now, I remember times as a young man working with my dad. You know, maybe we had a project. We were building something around the house. Uh, Sometimes it was something at at, at one of the mission works, uh, uh, working on the church building or something. And and he would have to leave for a while. You know, maybe it was to go pick up more parts. Maybe it was to, to go do some ministry stuff. But he would say, okay, son, here's what I need you to do. And he would leave me some part of the project. He'd be gone for an hour, two hours, however long it was. When he would come back, um, the conversation would start with a question, something along the lines of, son, what did you get done? And now it's like if you've been in that circumstance on either side, father or son, you understand that whatever happened next bared heavenly on my answer to that question. And whether when he started looking around there was any evidence to back up my answer to that question. I believe that's what's going to happen for us someday when we stand before Christ. Jesus Christ is going to bring us up one by one. He's going to look us square in the eye and he's going to say, son, daughter, after I saved you, after I washed away your sins, after I, I saved you from an eternity in hell, 
after I sacrificed myself, shed my own blood for you, I then left you a job to do. What did you get done? What did you get done? He gave us a work to do, and we are going to be judged on those works. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Well, hopefully I'm not letting anyone in on a secret. Sitting in a nice padded pew chair at church is not work. Now, I've been in one or two churches where their pews were borderline work. But I'm familiar with these nice padded pew chairs. These are not work. Just saying, well, I sat in my place. What did you get done? Who did you share the gospel with? Who did you try to reach? Who did you reach? I left you a job to do. You know, if my dad had come back, son, what did you get done? Well, I sat here and watched the project. It didn't change. I didn't let it go backwards at all. I left you a job to do. Our works. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul gives us another tremendously challenging thought here. He says here in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. First of all, consider the promise at the end of that verse. Your labor is not in vain. Now, again, we just talked about the difference between what is work and what isn't work. If you want God's blessing, it requires labor. You know, it's like if you're working in this current world, you've come to understand that there are a lot of people in our world that really don't understand the meaning of the word labor or work. Uh, you know, my last job, I got to do a lot of hiring. Uh, I got to do a little bit of firing. Um, I wish I could have just put on the application a simple question with two boxes. Are you interested in A, employment, or B, work? Because I would have had a number of people who applied for a job who would have had to check, I'm interested in employment. I would like a paycheck every two weeks, but I really have no desire to work. (laughs) That is the state of our world. Unfortunately, in many cases, it's the state of our churches. I want to come. I want to enjoy the fellowship. I want to be taught. I want to be preached. I want God to bless me, but work. No, not, not really. Not, not really interested in that. You know, this is how I relax on my weekends. Paul said your labor will not be in vain. Okay? Again, just a nice building, just a nice sign, you know, nice auditorium. That can all be in vain. That can all be in vain. Many a church has closed up and died while having all of those things. I guarantee you churches that were laboring, Don't run into that same problem. Your labor is not in vain. But notice also, he says a little earlier in the verse, My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I want you to consider that word with me for just a second. Abounding. 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 Always abounding. What does that mean? Well, do you think it means this? Or does it mean this? Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, 
You want a dose of humility? I know it would be one for me. Grab a piece of note paper, start writing down things that I do in the work of the Lord. Things that I do in the work of the Lord. Write it down and then look at it. If you're really, really brave, ask someone else to look at it. (laughs) And then say, does the word abounding come to mind? You know, it's like when you look at what I'm doing to serve the Lord, does the word abounding come to mind? The Apostle Paul, writing to this church at Corinth, says, be always abounding in the work of the Lord. I mean, he obviously means, you know, visitation at least once a month. You know, try to give out a gospel tract every two or three weeks. Because, I mean, that certainly brings abounding to mind, doesn't it? You know, show up for a church work day at least once a year. You know, volunteer to serve in some ministry, um, you know, at least twice in your Christian life. I mean, all of that brings the idea of abounding to mind, doesn't it? Are we abounding in the work of the Lord? Then 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Quickly here, 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul encourages this church at at Thessalonica in verse number 11, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Now here I'm going to get off on a a little bit different group. I think Paul is maybe addressing a particular uh, group of people, um, and he uses a, 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 a phraseology, work with your own hands. Okay, when we talk about serving the Lord, there is a necessity, there is a requirement, there is an obligation to work with your own hands. It's like in America, we're in a land of plenty. It's easy sometimes to think, well, I'm involved in missions. And by that, I mean it's like I give to missions so that missionaries can be involved in missions. And that's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. Uh, I'm not going to South Africa if people aren't doing that. But that's not working with your own hands. You know, it's like I work at church. I'm involved in the work at the church. And again, we mean I I give my tithes and offerings so the church staff can work. And so maybe it was, you know, that idea, that mentality that the Apostle Paul was addressing particularly when he reminded the people, hey, take a look at the end of your arms. See those hands? They need to do some work in the service of the Lord. Personal responsibility. In 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5, Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Again, bringing us back to that idea, if we're going to be involved in evangelism, it will be work. It will be work. Work by its nature is not easy. You know, hard work by its nature stops being fun very quickly. You know, but that's what evangelism is. Paul, speaking to his, his young preacher, says, you've got to be involved in evangelism, Timothy, but understand it's work. It's work. If we want to see people saved, we've got to work. Then he says in James 1 and verse 25, go there with me. James 1 and verse 25, we'll look at this one last verse on this subject. James 1 and verse 25, the Bible says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. 
Now, the first half of that verse really talks about us getting into the Word of God, being not a forgetful hearer. Okay, that means you need to be grounded in God's Word. You know, I could use it to say that you are doctrinally sound. And that's a good thing. That's an important thing. It's a necessary thing. We should be in our Bibles. We should be studied up on our Bibles. We should know what God says, and we should believe it. But God says, I'm going to bless in His very deed, not someone who is doctrinally sound, someone who reads that book and then does the work that I gave them to do. Does the work. You know, it's like you, if you've raised children, you've had that conversation. I've had similar conversations with just my, my little three-year-old. You know, it's like where you ask him, okay, did I tell you to do this? Uh-huh. Do you know what that means? Uh-huh. It's like, okay, you, you know what I expected of you to do? Uh-huh. And, you know, it's like you, they can answer all the questions. They know exactly what your word said. But then you get to the question, then why didn't you do it? Why didn't you do it? We need to be a doer of the work. Back with me to Matthew chapter number 9. Verse number 36, the Bible says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Here I see Jesus Christ's perception. Even though Jesus Christ was busy, he still took time to open his eyes and see what was going on around him. First of all, I see that he perceived the scope of the need. The Bible tells us he saw the multitudes. Good thing for all of us to do from time to time. Stop and view the multitudes. Now, it's like this is easier for you folks than it is for some people because you have a number of them living nearby. Okay? Um, I'm going to let you know the Houston area has not been my favorite city to drive around while we've driven around the country. Um, primarily because you guys seem to be building new roads everywhere. Um, and in the process of building new roads everywhere, you're tearing up all the roads that are currently there. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm driving down, you know, it's like four-lane roads, and my GPS is saying turn left. And it's like, um, that's not possible. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on here, but... At some point, there must have been a way to turn here. Or maybe there's going to be. I don't know. But uh, people. You know, it's like I can drive in and, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon on a weekday. And then all of a sudden, I'm not driving anymore. I'm sitting there enjoying the sights. And by the sights, I mean road construction and taillights for as far as I can see. But what do we think when we see that? Do we see the multitudes? You know, when you drive home today, how many houses are you going to pass? How many apartment complexes? How many cars going in each direction? How many hundreds, how many thousands of people do you literally pass by each and every week? Do we see the multitudes? Jesus Christ saw the multitudes. He saw the scope of the need. He also saw the depth of the need. The Bible tells us that he was moved with compassion. That phrase, moved with compassion, that means that you're so affected by something that you have to do something about it. Okay, Not just simply a mental assent uh, to the idea that, hey, that's a problem. But it's like, there is a need and I have to meet it. You know, in a basic, crude 
uh, illustration. You know, it's like I saw someone walking around without any shoes. Oh, that's sad. Okay. And then I go on my way. To be moved with compassion would compel me to go find that person. Hey, what size shoe do you wear? Come with me. We're going to the store, and I'm going to buy you a pair of shoes. Or, you know, here, have my shoes. Whatever the case may be, being moved with compassion sees the need, but that need affects you so much that you are compelled to do something about it. So when we see the multitudes, it's not just a number. You know, it's not just, you know, a few million people in the metro area. It's not seven billion people in the world. It's seven billion people who need Christ. And for some of those people, I might be the only one who can give it to them. He also saw the effect of that need. As Christians today, you know, we can, get, we can get discouraged, we can get fed up, we can get irritated, we can get borderline angry when we see what's going on in our world around us. You know, with different talking points that come up in the media, you know, the talking points in election, the outcomes of recent elections in America. You know, that stuff can really bug us. Do we see the effect of the need? See, all of that bad stuff that's happening in our world, that is what sheep without a shepherd do. It's like you give a sheep without a shepherd a ballot, they vote badly. It's like you give a sheep without a shepherd a lifestyle, they choose a bad one. Sheep, I mean, it's like, you know, I grew up with stories of, of, of sheep and, and, and sheep herders. And I mean, they'll all tell you, you know, sheep are not smart animals. I got to witness it uh, not too long ago. I was driving out, uh, I believe it was Interstate, Interstate 70 out in the middle of Arizona. And whoosh, straight down the interstate toward me, here's this sheep. Just trucking right down the side of the interstate towards oncoming traffic. I'm like, wow. That's what sheep without a shepherd do. That is what the multitudes around us do. There is only one solution. Jesus Christ saw that need. He had compassion on them because he knew what the solution was. They need Christ. You want to fix America? They need Christ. We want to fix our world? They need Christ. He's still the only answer. They need a shepherd. Then in verse number 37, the Bible says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Consider with me that Jesus Christ gives us here his perspective. Okay, When he looked on the world, this is what he saw. He saw a harvest that was plenteous. Now, I don't think that's changed. I think sometimes, you know, we, we can get um, disillusioned by stories of easy farming. You know, the revivals of old. Where hundreds would get saved. And so based on that not happening anymore, we say there's no harvest. Talk to any farmer. Farming isn't always easy. Farming isn't always the results that you want. But if you put in the time and the effort and you plant the seed and you water the seed and you cultivate the seed, you will get a harvest. That's how it works. We call it the law of sowing and reaping because God ordained it. God put it in place. So there is a harvest. 
There is a harvest. It is plenteous. But the laborers are few. Now, can you imagine? You show up at work tomorrow. Boss calls you in. Said, we've got a ton to do today. Absolutely our busiest day of the year. So much to get done. But three or four people called in sick. You know, a couple of people quit last week. Um, Got a couple of people out on vacation. So we're understaffed. So go ahead home, um, and we'll try again tomorrow. Doesn't work that way, does it? You know? You've never had your boss tell you that. If you are the boss, you've never told anyone that. What is Jesus Christ telling us here? The laborers are few. It means don't worry about it. It's more than we can handle. No, he's saying we've got a great work to do. But because we're a little understaffed, I'm going to ask more of you. I need you to buy in. I need you to be committed. I need you to be focused. I need you to set aside anything that is peripheral. I need you to concentrate on the job at hand. I might ask you to work overtime. I might have you come in early. I might have you stay late because we've got a great work to do and the laborers are few. See, Jesus Christ was not stating this in despair. He knew exactly what these 11 guys would accomplish over the next generation. He knew what they were capable of if they bought into what he was saying. Gentlemen, the harvest is plenteous. Folks, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Then I see in verse number 38, Jesus Christ's prescription. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. First of all, consider that we need to pray. We want to see God do something. We want to do something for God. We need to start on our knees. Now, this particular word, pray, we know that pray can mean a host of different things. It can mean I'm simply having a conversation with God. It can mean I'm worshiping God. It can mean I'm asking God for something. Uh, A number of different things that can be conveyed by the word pray. The particular word pray here carries the connotation of begging. Okay, to beg. Now, most of us have never begged. Not like... Begging would have been understood in those days. Even most people in our world today who beg don't understand what it means to beg in those days. Now, the closest I can come to understanding what begging was would be when I was you know, sitting at the uh, uh, breakfast table eating my, my bacon as a boy and watching my dog. That is begging. See, that dog is looking at me Wanting above everything else in the world what I have. And understanding that I am the only person in the world that can meet that need. And so that dog is begging. When we talk about praying, when we talk about praying this prayer that he gives us, that is what we need. Looking to God as being the one who has what we need and being the only one who can provide what it is we need. He says then, pray ye. You know who that is? You. Me. Us. All of us. Speaking to his disciples. If you claim to be a disciple of Christ, he is speaking to you. This is your personal responsibility. Pray ye therefore. 
keeping in mind what I've already told you, keeping in mind my example of labor, keeping in mind the multitude scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd, keeping in mind that the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few, with those things weighing on your heart and on your mind, pray. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. Keep in mind who you're talking to. He is the Lord, the master of the harvest. He can meet the need. See, we all have our shortcomings. You know, I could come find any one of you here today and say, hey, it's like I want to drop the tranny in my van tomorrow and uh, take it apart and rebuild it and put it back together. Can you help me out? And for most of you, you would say, wow, I mean, I'd love to help, but no, I can't do that. Whether it's from a lack of expertise, uh, most of you, I'm sure, have to go to work tomorrow. Uh, and your boss is not going to accept a phone call. Hey, I'm asking, I'm helping some crazy missionary drop his uh, transmission in the parking lot of his hotel as a valid excuse for missing. And so your entirely honest answer is, I would love to help, but I can't. Where am I going with this? Glad you asked. When I pray, that answer is never possible. Lord, the harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. Lord, Africa needs laborers. Lord, Port Elizabeth needs laborers. There is no chance God looks at me and says, wow, that's true. I'd love to help, but I can't. He's the Lord of the harvest. He can meet the need. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth. This part is absolutely essential, that he would send forth. I'm going to let you in on a little secret about me. As I go to Port Elizabeth, I have a limitless ability to fail. Because I'm human. I've had the opportunity on one or two occasions to witness firsthand how amazing my ability to fail is. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand humans have amazing abilities to succeed too, but I have an ability to fail. My God does not. That's why it's imperative as we go to Port Elizabeth that he send forth. It must be God's work authored by God, directed by God, done in God's way. Because that removes the possibility for failure. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Laborers. Port Elizabeth needs laborers. As I go to Port Elizabeth, I am not praying for people. I don't need people. They're there. They're all over the place. I mean, everywhere. You know, I can go to the local soccer game and, you know, find 50,000 of them. Easy to find people. Port Elizabeth doesn't need people. Guess what? Humble, Texas. Houston, Texas. You don't need people either. You've got plenty. This church doesn't need people. You need laborers. Okay? That is what the world around us needs. That is what our city needs. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers, a particular kind of person. And then he says, into his harvest. Now, if you have a personal salvation testimony, it probably goes something along the lines of mine. There was a time in your life where God began working. He used some different circumstances to, 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 to change your perspective. 
you know, to, to mentally, possibly even physically sober you up to where you had to think long and hard about some things. The fact is God is doing that in people's lives. I don't know who they are. That's why I've got to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. You want an intimidating task? Show up to a city of one and a half million people and say, I'm here to start a church. You know where to start? One and a half million people. Approximately 12 African villages make up that area. Nine of them have no kind of a church whatsoever. Where do I start? Now, seriously, if you know, let me know. No, where do I start? I pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. See, if I'm praying that and I've determined to be a laborer, guess who I'm going to start running into? Harvest fields. The person I add a gospel tract and say, have you considered where you're going when you die? If I'm a laborer and I'm praying the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest, I'm going to hand that tract to somebody and somebody that day is going to say, actually, I have. A good friend of mine just passed away last week. And I've spent a lot of time contemplating what happens after this. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Where are we tonight? Consider the performance. Do we need, do you need, do I need simply to get busy? Do something for God. Be involved in the work that my father left me. Do we need to see the multitudes? Just think about it on your way home. That house. I don't know who lives in that house. I wonder if they're saved. And do that with all eight on each block. Do it with the 48 units in that apartment complex you drive by. Do it with the 27 cars stopped at the same stoplight as you. See the multitudes. Be moved with compassion. Do we need to remember that the harvest is plenteous, but understand our role, the laborers are few. God has a work for you personally. You know, we've all we've all seen that person, you know, the person who shows up to a really busy work job. You know, maybe you've worked with that guy at work. You know, it's like everyone is busy and he's the guy still goofing off. It's like, you know, everyone else has gotten it, man. We've got a lot to do. We've got to get this done. You know, maybe it's it's at Friday and everyone wants to leave right at, you know, five o'clock or maybe at four thirty. But you've got that one person who just doesn't get it. Let's not be that person spiritually. The laborers are few. The harvest is plenteous. Let's start. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given to us. Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to each and every person here. Lord, you know the particular need. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would deal with us. Lord, as the, the pastor comes, and uh, I'll turn the service over to him, Lord, but you know uh, each heart. And Lord, I pray that we would consider... Our performance, Lord, are we abounding in the work of the Lord? Lord, have we seen the multitudes? Do we see the need around us? Are we moved with compassion? Lord, will we enter the harvest as one of the laborers? Lord, may we at least commit to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. 
Thank you for this time. Use it to your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand together is page 306, 306. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saved, Jesus saved. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saved, Jesus saved. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward tis our Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. It's a wonderful thing to think about the fact that whenever we sing that and we talk about our obligation to, to go and to, and to speak out for Christ, but it all gets back to that one little part where it says, Jesus saves. Uh, you know, that, that's the part that nobody else can do. We can go and we can pray, but whenever you boil it all down, He's the one that does the saving. But, but the fact remains, a part of His plan is that we go, that we pray, because how shall they hear? Amen? Without a preacher, there's no way for them to hear the glorious gospel. We appreciate the good message by Brother White tonight, and it's uh, refreshing.